Our series in Advent this year has dealt with individual people. We started off, first sermon was about the Virgin Mary and a little insight into her life. Last week we talked about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, and we talked a little bit about his life. Today we're going to talk about Jesus himself, a young Jesus, bringing up to the present. You know, a young man growing up in ancient Israel would have learned the trade of his father. So sure enough, as Jesus was being raised through childhood, teenage years, uh, into the age of being a young man, the Bible is very silent about him. We don't know much about what he did and what he experienced during that time. But I want to put a couple thoughts in your mind. We saw last week that Joseph's stepfather was called a carpenter. So that was his trade. And uh, that word, the Greek word tectone, uh, means, can mean more than a carpenter. Uh, it refers to a man who was skilled in various aspects of the building trade. It would include a worker in wood, a stonemason, a craftsman, a builder, or someone working in construction. I mentioned last week that uh, that word tectone, we find it in our word architect. Arca means chief or master, and tectone or tone, architect, means, uh, well, a master builder. So Joseph's trade could mean more, much more than just an architect, and I don't want to, or, or a carpenter rather, I don't want to downplay a, a carpenter, but I think it opens a, a range of possibilities about Joseph and about Jesus. About three miles from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth, actually stood a city by the name of Sepphoris, it was the second largest city in Judah besides Jerusalem, and it was about an hour's walk from where Jesus grew up. When Jesus was nine years old, Herod Antipas, the ruler at that time, began a large-scale rebuilding project there that lasted 20 years. So that would have been from Jesus' age of nine to Jesus' age of 29 just prior to him starting his ministry. Modern archeologists speculate that Joseph and Jesus may have participated during the time before Jesus' public ministry had begun to participate in the building or the rebuilding of this city. If you Google it, uh, you can see pictures of the ancient city as it stood. It would be tremendous or kind of mind-blowing to go to that city to visit it today, what's left of it, just the, uh, the uh, archaeologist finds. And if it were possible, if it is true that Jesus and his stepfather actually worked there, building there, using their skills, how awesome it would be to see and to handle something that Jesus had made himself. You know, a lot of people are just crazy into that. There have been movies and books 
books written and movies made about some relic of what Jesus did, maybe something that he owned or something that he made with his own hands. There was one of the movies, uh, Indiana Jones. I don't know if you saw all those movies. They're real action-packed. And one of them, they were trying to find the cup that Jesus drank out of at the Last Supper. And I don't know if you remember that movie, but uh, it became a life and death thing because people feel if you drank out of that cup, uh, it's going to heal you, or maybe you're going to live forever if you drank out of that cup. Well, it's a nice story, but it's not true, okay? God doesn't do things like that, leave relics of uh, his past where you can get, you know, magical blessings or, or something like that. Some churches have relics, you know, the drop of the blood of some saint or a piece of his bone, something like that. God does not really work that way. But it's just kind of thrilling, you know. What if we could just see something that Jesus had made? Well, you know what? You can. You can see something that Jesus made today. When you get home, all you have to do is look in the mirror. And you're going to see something that Jesus is in the process of making. And it's you. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. I like the way the Apostle Paul words it here. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we, each of us, individually, are the result of God's creative, redemptive, and sanctifying work. Workmanship here refers to more than just the end product, because we we know we're still a work in progress. Workmanship also refers to the degree of skill with which the product is made. You know, the end product represents the skill of the maker. The skill of the workman is what makes the end product valuable. So we don't get all high and mighty over whatever progress we've made as a Christian because we know it's God's working in us that brought it about. When we do good deeds, we feel a little uh, shy taking credit for it. Because the reason we're doing those good deeds to help somebody else is because God put it in us to do the good deeds. He gives us that little kick in the rear end saying, hey, that person over there obviously needs help. Why don't you go over there and see what you can do for them? Or if you get word of somebody who's maybe hurting financially or they don't have enough food for their kids, God puts it in your heart to go to the store and buy some extra and knock on their door and just leave it there. You know, as, as a good deed from God, we don't take credit for it. We give God the credit. It's his skill. He's the one who gave us the wherewithal. First of all, he saved us by his grace and gave us that grace, enough grace to share with others. The emphasis is, is not on the creation. It's on the creator. So for all eternity, we're not going to take glory for what God has made of us. We give him the glory. That's why we come here every week. Whatever we've accomplished in his name during the week, we come here to praise him and give him the glory. 
Everything God creates is of value, and that includes us. We have been created. Well, we're created in, in, in more ways than one. We know that in the book of Genesis, it talks about God creating the whole universe, and then on the seventh, the sixth day, rather, creating the human race, Adam and Eve. So we're created in that way. In fact, we're the epitome of God's creation. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, as it goes through the days of creation, it mentions, you know, God creating the, not only the universe, the sun, the moon, uh, the plants, the animals, but it says when it came to man, those other things were good, but when he created man, it was very good. And that includes woman, too, okay? When God breathed into Adam, Adam became a living soul. And that breath brought God's own life into his workmanship. The human race possessed the spirit of man, which makes them so far advanced over plants and animals. We're made in the image of God. So God created us in that respect. He created the whole human race. But once we hear the gospel and respond to it, and we accept Jesus Christ as our savior, there's another birth, another creation that starts at that point. And it talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17. Let's turn there. We become a new creation. You know what? The first creation has been marred. Why? Because of sin. Starting in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. And it wasn't just eating fruit. It represented disobeying God after God told them not to eat it and deciding for themselves what was right and wrong. And that just falls in the footsteps of Satan himself and his rebellion against God along with all the demons. That's why it was so evil and wrong. So that first creation became marred. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and in a sense, mankind and humankind has been cut off from God. But God provided through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, that we can be reconciled to God. So you see, when you accept Jesus as your savior, God in you begins a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So God starts working on you. First of all, he forgives your sins. You're restored to him in relationship. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He showers you with grace and he begins working on you day by day. It's called uh, a transformation. It's called a new creation. We're changed from that day forward. And it's a lifelong process. What God is doing in his skill and his ability is taking and carving away everything in you that does not look like Jesus Christ. 
And our ultimate goal is to be made in the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. So he has the skill to do that. We are his workmanship. He is the creator. He is the master worker, the architect. And he's working on us daily. And the end result of his work demonstrates his invisible attributes. This word for workmanship is, is used only one other time in the Bible. It's Romans 1 and verse 20. Let's turn there. Romans 1 and verse 20. Here it doesn't say workmanship. It uses a few other words, but it's the same word here. Paul is talking about how when we look at creation, we should be able to see in the intricacies of creation God's intellect, God's character, God's personality. You know, we've all been Christians long enough to look at the world in a different way. You could look at the smallest things that God has created, and you'd have to look through a very powerful microscope to see it. And you could look at the, the, the things God created that, that are farthest away, and you'd have to look through a powerful telescope to see it. And no matter what you look at, we're in wonder. Scientists scratch their heads and can't figure out how that came to be or why it's there. But notice it says here in verse 20, for since creation of the world, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. So he's speaking to people here in, in Romans chapter 1 who deny that there's a God. Uh, there's no proof that there's a God. And what Paul is saying is, when you analyze creation, all that exists, from the, the macro-sized things to the micro-sized things, when you have wonder by analyzing those things, why do leaves change in the fall? Why is it like that? You look at the smallest things like little animals, the biggest things like glaciers and whales and, and big things like that, there's an intellect that has made those things and has placed them so that they are the way they are. Why is the moon in the sky where it is? And why is it that it's the perfect distance away and the perfect size so that when the earth and the moon and the sun line up, there can be a full disappearance of the moon or of the sun. Why is it like that? Well, it's demonstrating God's invisible attributes, his power and his nature. So in a similar way, when we look at the changes that have taken place in our lives, we see God. The way we act now versus the way we used to act before our converted days, the glory doesn't go to us, the glory goes to God. And when you become a Christian, the way it's supposed to happen, as it has happened in all of our lives, you end up being a better person, a more loving person. Why is that? Because that's God in you. You don't steal from people. You don't cheat people. You don't hate people. Why is that? 
That's because God is in us and we're seeing his attributes in us. The glory doesn't go to the creation, it goes to the creator. It goes to the master builder because he's doing that work in our lives. We are merely his workmanship. I've wondered many times watching people. I really admire musical people. Eddie did a great job for us today. You look on TV or you hear recordings of famous artists and the talent that they have. How did they get that talent? How can they just sit down in front of a piano and play the most beautiful pieces that you've ever heard before? Now, the glory doesn't go necessarily to the artist. It goes to the one who gave them that ability. Fantastic uh, sports athletes with tremendous abilities. People pay money to go see them play. The glory doesn't go to them. It goes to the one who gave them that ability. And humble athletes will admit that. I remember when I worked with my dad in the uh, fabricating plant, steel fabricating plant. Uh, it was kind of a dirty job. A lot of uh, blacksmiths there pounding on steel. And uh, I remember occasionally we would get some visitors come into the shop. Uh, some people would bring their children. And uh, we had one particular guy who was from Hungary. Most of the guys there were European people who, who came over looking for a job and had certain skills. And uh, this one guy that I worked with would just take a piece of metal like this. He'd cut off a, a slab of a, a rod or a piece of flat. And what he would do is he would take that piece of metal and stick it in the furnace. Powerful furnaces, 2,000 degrees. And, you know, he'd have a, piece of t a pair of tongs and bring it out again, and he'd put it on the anvil. He'd take his hammer. Of course, this thing was red hot now. And he would start to fashion this basic piece of metal. And it's amazing what you can do with steel if you get it hot enough. <laughs> it becomes very soft and malleable. And he would take his hammer, and he would hammer out a figure. He would hammer out a little animal or a flower or something like that. And it was just amazing to me that somebody could have this kind of skill, artistic skill. You wouldn't think that a blacksmith would have artistic skill, but that's exactly what he had. He could make anything out of a simple, plain piece of metal. And I would always wonder at that. And that's God-given uh, talent, God-given ability. So uh, he would, you know, give it to one of the kids as a present. And uh, they would take it home and enjoy it. That's the way God is. He's the one who does the construction. He's the one who does the work, the building, uh, and generously handing out skills and talents to us. We should always remember where those abilities come from. They're, they're from God because God is a builder. Maybe not merely a, a carpenter but a builder, a multi-skilled builder. And he even has the ability to build us, to change us totally, to create us into something new. Now, when we become a Christian, we're not just the leftover parts and pieces of what we used to be. He does away with that. He, he compares it to being buried. 
And uh, we, we kind of live that out and experience that when we're baptized. The old person goes in the watery grave, and what comes up out of that water is something totally new. A new creation. Now with God's Spirit. Let's turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. So, isn't it interesting that Jesus, growing up as a young man, used abilities and talents to build, to be an architect, to be in construction, to be in whatever he was in. And then growing up, starting his ministry, he became a constructor of, of people, changing people, recreating people. It says here in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 9, Colossians 3, verse 9. He's talking about how we're, now we're not to lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which Jesus has provided for you, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, is there a part that we play in this? Sure. We have to live in the reality of what Jesus is doing in us, this new creation that we have become. We can't just linger in our old life. We have to live like the new life he's given us. And he compares it to changing clothes, in a sense. We take off the old, dirty, filthy, wrinkled clothes, which resembled or stands for our old life, and we put on a new outfit that he has given us, representing our new life, the new creation. So yeah, we participate in that. And whenever something comes along and we're tempted to do this or to do that, we realize, wait a minute, that's part of the old self. I'm being created, new, recreated into a new person with the Holy Spirit. So I have to live in that reality. And sometimes we catch ourselves and we go, uh-oh, <laughs> I better watch out. I'm hanging around with the people I used to, hang around, used to hang around with who got me into all sorts of trouble. Or I'm being tempted to get back involved in this that, that got me in, in such a mess years ago. So we participate. We put on the new clothes and we keep them on. Pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... We are holy <laughs> and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with, so here's what the new outfit looks like. He describes it. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So I'm tempted, a lot of times when I'm out in traffic and somebody cuts me off, wait a minute. <laughs> Before you beep the horn, before you shake your fist or whatever, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Whenever I go into a store and the salesperson's taking too long or somebody cuts in line ahead of me, clothe yourself <laughs> with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, 
Here's some more clothing that, to really brighten you up. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's, here's some more. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And on top of that, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's about Bible reading, Bible study. Coming to services and hearing God's word preached. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's quite an outfit, isn't it? Amen. And that's the outfit we put on every day that we live in. Because we've thrown away the old clothes, representing the old way of life. Why? Because God is creating, He's building you, He's constructing you. It's the new life that we live. Amen. And that's not just some nice spiritual thought, that's reality. That's who we are. That's who we have become. That's who God has made us. Amen. That's Christianity for you. And a lot of people, even Christians, don't like to go that deep. <laughs> that's, that's too deep for me, buddy. You know, I might go to church on Christmas or uh, Easter. And other than that, kind of do my own thing. Whatever I feel comfortable with and whatever pleases me. No, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not being in Christ. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means. And this is what God is building into us. He's cutting away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. So when Jesus returns, we're going to see him face to face because we're going to be like him. Amen. And it's God who made us like that. So the glory doesn't go to us. It goes to God. Now let's look at one uh, last passage in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. You might say, well, Pastor John, you know, that's great. I, I agree with that, but, boy, I don't know. I don't feel like that's happening to me a whole lot. Because I have my days, and, you know, some are good days and some are bad days. God understands that. He understands that. Live in the reality of who you are now, but he understands that not every day is going to be perfect. And I like the way Paul says it here in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, not too many people care about thoughts like that light shining in darkness and he since we became followers of Jesus and are now in Christ yeah he's made his light shine in our hearts we're to reflect God we're to represent God in this society now and that's going to make us stick out like a sore thumb sometimes to people and furthermore verse 7 it's a treasure that God has given us now 
And we have this treasure in jars of clay. So here's this wonderful treasure God has given us, him dwelling in us. There's, the sky's the limit as to what he can accomplish through us. But one thing holding us down, dragging us down, is the fact that we're in physical, in many of our cases, older <laughs> bodies that are so limited. Limited in energy, limited sometimes in health, physically and mentally. We're carrying this wonderful treasure God has given us and we're ready to do everything we can, but we're dragging along sometimes with physical limitations. But that's God's purpose, you see. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's our bodies. That's what he calls it. You know, sometimes cracked, sometimes chipped and broken jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side in this life as Christians, in this crazy fallen world. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed sometimes, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, certainly not by God. He hasn't abandoned us and never does. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So people have the wrong idea that, well, if you become a Christian, life is just gonna be rosy. You're gonna be blessed every turn of the corner, going to have great health, no accidents are ever going to happen to you. That's not true. That's not biblical. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus and his suffering. So, yeah, we're going to suffer too. Jesus set an example for us. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Amen. So if you're suffering a trial, you're in a lot of pain, and somebody comes up to you and says... <laughs> Hey, you're a Christian. Christians aren't supposed to experience things like that. It says here, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. And Jesus suffered a lot. He was persecuted a lot. And so are we. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So when people see you suffering as a Christian, yeah, we're just representing Jesus. Just as he suffered, we're suffering too. We're walking in his footsteps. But you know what? Carry the story on. What happened to Jesus? Well, he ultimately died, as we may, if Jesus doesn't return soon enough, and we're going to be buried. But then, you know, we're going to be raised from the dead, just as he was. And we're going to become glorified, just as he was. Amen. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, Paul says to the congregation, which means all of us. Let's read on a little further. Verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace 
that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the suffering, in, midst of the na- in the midst of nagging pains and uh, all that we go through. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, you know, the older we get, we look in the mirror and we think, man, where did this old guy come from? (laughs) That's me. What happened? Where's the youthful John Dobritz that used to be? Well, he went down the road. (laughs) What is seen is temporary. What is unseen, what God has in store for us, the place that Jesus went to prepare for us, what is unseen is eternal. And we have God's word on it. And he says in the Bible, God, who cannot lie, has promised these things. So you can count on them. So amen to that. So Jesus was involved in construction. He was a builder. Whether it was in wood, whether he was a stonemason of some kind, he was involved in creating very nice physical things. But the greatest construction that he is involved in is still happening today. And it involves each and every one of us. And the glory for what is being created and the glory for the final product doesn't go to us, it goes to him. I was thinking for a moment, what would it have been like if Jesus indeed worked in that uh, city construction project and you were there maybe as his foreman or as his boss working by his side and giving him instructions on how to do certain things. And here you're talking to the one who created the whole universe. Wouldn't it be ironic? Say, Jesus, no, don't do it that way. I'll tell you how to do it. I'll show you how to do it. Not realizing who it is you're talking to. The one who, before his earthly life, brought everything into existence that is in existence. So uh, just a thought. But God is the master builder, and we right now are his project. And uh, we have to participate, live in the reality of who we are and what God is making us into, and participate. Put on that outfit, that new life that he is giving us, and throw away the old outfit, the old way of life. And all glory goes to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word on your workmanship. It is a privilege to be part of it, to be the object of your work. And we thank you that you are making us something better than we used to be. We may not always realize it, but it's a reality and it pleases you. And that's all we care about. And we all want to be the final product that you have in mind for us. Just help us to participate, to realize the good work that you're doing, and to, and to live in the reality of who we now are in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask your blessing now. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.